Welcome to the Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup being brought to you by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. As we were prepping of what we were going to talk about, I hope we can cram it all into this segment because there's a lot of factors that are weighing in on this market trade today. And on top of that, it's hard to believe that next week we're already jumping into the month of February. But we're going to look at what's going on with China. Uh, that's probably a big portion of what this market trade has been focused on. So is been what's happening with this on again, off again weather out of Brazil. We'll also take a look at what the funds mean to all of this and the crush investment and those crush numbers. Stick around, folks. A lot to happen on today's episode coming up after this. Meet the champions of innovation in the heart of Nebraska. They're not just farmers, and they nurture more than just crops. Pushing boundaries and turning challenges into opportunities. They trade knowledge and know-how, and their dedication doesn't end at harvest. It's in your every bite and every drive. The future of food, fuel, and fiber, and the future of Nebraska starts right here. Welcome back. As you can see, joining us, Sam Hudson. He's with Corn Belt Marketing and Mike Zuzolo, Global Commodity Analytics. And, and gentlemen, to say that it was a crazy, fun trading week, I think might be just putting it mildly. Um, even though we ended up finishing with a lot of negativity feels in this grain complex, the shining star was the livestock. And we know that a lot of producers continue to struggle and dig out from these snowstorms and are going to welcome some much warmer temperatures. But maybe these snowstorms came to an advantage to them. And I kind of wanted to start out there because we saw a monster trade in the fed cattle market and and many producers that decided hey i'm going to hold off shipping these cattle get some more bloom on them and uh see if i can get higher money next week kind of mike let's start out with you what's your thoughts yeah i mean this i think is a great example of of what i've been trying to educate this winter with producers with ranchers and, and farmers about funds versus fundamentals susan in the cattle market and the hog market to a lesser degree but the cattle and feeders especially had the funds and the fundamentals both going with them and for them as tailwinds. And the funds were very happy um, after having you know liquidated a lot of their long positions the past three to six weeks. Very happy to see a breakout from several chart uh, technical points. And I think that was helped by the fact that we saw the tighter cold storage numbers for beef. We saw very strong weekly beef export sales, China being the number two buyer again. We, we've had the weather. We've had some issues out there in the cattle markets and the cash that have supported the fundamentals. And, and that got the funds underneath it. And I would say on a weekly closing basis, is there a common denominator between fat cattle being about 5%? And the, and the corn being about even on the week, I think that common denominator is the fact that the Chinese stimulus didn't work in the grain markets because it didn't really work in the uh, Asian markets at the end of the week. And so the corn bulls jumped back out. Cattle bulls didn't need to because they had the supply demand fundamentals underneath them. Definitely going to make for an interesting ride when the markets reopen again on Monday. Yeah, and I think this is where Wednesday we have that biannual cattle re inventory report and for me personally, if I've got the, the cattleman staring at 184, 185 April fats, I'll probably get some puts in place, some bought puts in place, knowing there's a gap up around 188, 189. But I want to lock in profit in 24 and not get caught up in trying to pick highs and lows. You know, Sam, we've been uh, talking about this January report, what it feels like since last January. A lot of anticipation of these numbers. Do you see any surprises that we might come see next week? Uh, you know, not, not specifically. I, I think, you know, the fact that we had such a hangover from that October, November 
you know, data sets and, and, and the market has really, really digested and pushed through all of that. Uh, you know, we mentioned the weather and the fact that we've finally gotten a little bit of a reason for premium and it really came at a great time. You know, as Mike mentioned, we've had a pretty uh, sizable amount of short uh, open interest in the feeder cattle by the funds there. And with really kind of a ceiling opened up here uh, and a lot of fodder for some good uh, cash trade, they just don't really want to hang on to it. And when you look at it, uh, really spreads could still continue to appreciate here on the front end. Uh, but I also agree with his comments. I, I think, you know, we, we've come pretty far here in a short amount of relatively short amount of time. doesn't mean we can't still see some upside here as we get into spring, summer, but the economy is going to have a big part of the thing to say about that interest rates all, all with it. And so I think this is a, a good opportunity for hedgers to at least take a look at what they've got out there for risk exposure. So speaking of uh, these spreads, 60 to $90 hogs in a few weeks, Sam, what's your <laughs> takeaway? You know, he mentioned, uh, you know, all this Chinese trade and, and, and just, you know, willingness to keep markets down. And, and I think they just kind of found an area of fair value as you move forward into this first and second quarter. Uh, you know, when you look at the, the spreads here on the front end, still not real positive. And so I think when you, as we got June uh, up to near the highs today, same thing as the cattle market. I think it's an opportunity to take a look at the hedging side of things and at least see what you've got for exposure to get through this next, uh, you know, 30 to 45 days and see how the rest of these outside markets transpire and if they provide any more influence. All right, you guys have both brought up China in two separate uh, occasions here. Let's talk about what's going on with China and why the U.S. can't seem to compete to get their business. Mike, we'll start with you. Yeah, and this is a this is a tough one because this is where we're going to have to, I think, split out the investor demand in terms of the funds and why they're not buying the grains right now, and, and the fear in the grain markets that we're going to go lower because China is going to export deflation because they're in deflation. And in a lot of people in the financial markets right now, Susan, talking about China is the new Japan of the 1990s and we're going to have deflationary commodity prices. This week, we saw a very strong sentiment change by the government in China that they wanted to put a floor in their stock market. And the People's Bank of China has said now that they've put in about one trillion U.S. dollars. That's going to be about five, six percent of their GDP on a 17, 18 trillion dollar economy to try and stimulate their economy. They've essentially said we're putting a floor in our markets. Does the market in the United States and the West buy into that? That's the investor demand that I think is very uh, optimistic and maybe green shoots are starting to form there. Um, I think the next two weeks will tell us a lot. The Hong Kong market, the Chinese currency, those two things are one of the two of the biggest things I'll be watching not only Sunday night, but in the next two weeks and especially as we close out the month of January totally separate in a way from the supply demand fundamentals. What about for you, Sam? Yeah, I tend to agree with exactly what Mike said. And, and, you know, the grand scheme of things, at the end of the day, you still have to watch what they do, not versus really what they say. And, and you know, as far as that stimulus is concerned, it hasn't really hit the U.S. table a whole heck of a lot. But when you look at their general import data on corn, soybeans, and wheat, we saw some pretty uh, dramatic increases year over year on what they're still buying. They're just not getting it from us. And, and you know, if they were the same price for us in South America, they'd choose them over us. At this point, they're cheaper, and so there's just an easy avenue for them to continue to buy from them. And this weather over the next 45 to 60 days, I think, really helps influence that because as we finish off the safrina crop and get a pretty good start here on the Argentina crop, if there's evidence that there's not going to be any shortages, then you know we may have to auction off some of these old crop supplies from last year just to make space for harvest. What about your crush numbers? Sam, you said it's kind of something we need to really be keeping a close eye on. It, it is. You know, we've continued to set record monthly numbers. I don't think that's going to be, you know, changing here moving forward as we continue to increase our crush capacity. But finding the, you know, general pathways for these byproducts, for the meal, for the oil, uh, you know, so much has been made about this biodiesel program and the biofuels in general. But we all know 
uh, you know, with evidence from the ethanol market uh, specifically, uh, what the government can do to throttle that or not throttle that. So the regulation, uh, the grading scales around the globe, those are all going to pan in or, or kind of filter into what is and is not possible there. And I think that's going to add up to a pretty clunky, um, you know, mechanism as far as unrolling and all of that. And I think that could create some good and some bad. But right now with the uncertainty and the fact that we've got this buffer on supplies around the world, it's, it's been nothing but bad and kind of a headwind for markets in general uh, when you get uh, meal and oil continuing to make weekly lows. What do you see, Mike, uh, with with this crush and how how it's especially as you talk to growers and you spent some time traveling here in the last week or so? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with Sam more. I mean, the the three fifty level was violated in lead month meal, and I, I think that was the first weekly close below three fifty, going all the way back to early November of twenty twenty one. And when we talk about the Brazilian soybean price and the basis slippage there this past week, we're talking about four hundred fifteen dollars a ton in Paranagua compared to 475, 480 here at the Gulf, Susan. And so if we've got a bad crop and Sam, I think is 100% right about the weather. And I think even the middle of November, or excuse me, the middle of February is gonna tell us a lot because there are still drought areas out there, but they're supposed to get relief by like the 8th or 9th of February. But if we are gonna see a tight crop and a short crop in Brazil, you've gotta think that Paranagua price would start coming up and going through the Argentine price at this point and being a lot more selective about taking on new exports. So that's going to be the key for me. And I, I do feel like the pork and bean trade is a very nervous trade. In other words, the fundamentals underneath soybeans, the fundamentals underneath the hogs, if China is not going to come out of this deflationary hit that they're taking right now, I'm really nervous about the premiums in both soybeans and hogs in relation to corn and wheat and cattle. So as you say that, Mike, should we, when I say we, those growers and producers out there, should we be changing our marketing plans or at least the thought process of how we're going to look at the rest of 24? Yeah, and I talked to a great friend of mine, a client that's been with me for many, many years in, in the central part of the Corn Belt, and, and he could do $40, betters an $40 better an acre on soybeans, cut his cost of production in half by doing soybeans, by jumping out of rotation. But he said, I just love to plant corn. I think that's the big discussion here in 2024 for the United States. And I, I would just add this. If you can't hold these recent report day, January report day lows in soybeans, I'm really nervous about another big wave down in the soy. So, again, like the cattle, I wouldn't be afraid to put a floor underneath me if that 1201, 1205 level can't hold on lead month soybeans. Sam, what about the East, Eastern Corn Belt world? What do you what do you think when it comes to marketing this? You know, there's not a whole lot that's going to bust guys around here out of their typical crop rotation. Um, but I, I, you know, up until last several weeks where soybeans have made a little bit of a recovery versus corn, we've actually, uh, for customers out west, have been hearing more about, pen, you know, corn penciling better despite the higher costs. So unless the guys pinch financially, you're going to kind of see a mix. And I'm honestly more interested in what total acres are going to look like rather than the split between these two. I think a lot could change between now and June, uh, you know, final numbers. But either way, again, with these buffers we have around the globe on supply, uh, you know, you have to create a, a narrative where we can erase some of that in a quick amount of time. And the first way to do that would be have lower than expected acreage or even get a wet spring. Uh, it's going to be difficult to build risk premium with dry weather, at least to what we've seen here over the last two uh, you know, weather cycles in both the northern and southern hemisphere. And gentlemen, a lot can change between now and when those planters hit the dirt for the first time in 24 here in the States. That's right. And it can. And, and I, you know, the break evens are lower. It's providing a little bit of relief. But if you see where you've got margins and you're confident where you can pencil those in, option volatility is relatively low to, you know, to make a sale and go out and buy some calls isn't, isn't the, you know, 
know, worst case scenario type of deal if you have to know where you stand. But make sure you don't end up in the same situation as a lot of people found themselves in this year without any forward sales in place. Yep, Mike, your final thoughts for you on that? I think the big thing to, to kind of dovetail on that, Susan, is the idea that if the February month of February is going to be so important from South American weather, we'll get the agriculture baseline numbers to Sam's point about total principal crop acres. And then we'll get the, the baseline numbers for the crop insurance and what's going to provide the biggest safety net for the producers on row crop. So I think these next two to three weeks, I think producers really need to elevate their marketing plan this next two to three weeks if they can. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us this week. Of course, we'd like to remind you commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. And that's this week's Nebraska Soybean Board Weekly Market Roundup.